Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. And welcome back, Empty Nation, to the show. You are listening and or watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Streaming to you live on social media at Show. Subscribe to our YouTube channel when you get the chance. And check us out after the show on your favorite pod streaming app. Oh, by the way, you can always download us on the Amazon App Store on your Fire TV and or Android devices. You can watch us live or any of our episodes there too. More places to come, I assure you, MD Nation. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. It's a Monday night, so that means we're back here to recap the Sunday action of the previous NFL week, in this case, week 14. But the significance of that is it's the last game of the fantasy football regular season. And of course, we got the Monday night game going on right now. We'll recap that and the Sunday night action in tomorrow's episode with the first fantasy football playoff waiver wire report for week 15. That'll be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. on social media at the MDFF show on YouTube, on the Amazon MD Fantasy Football Show, Amazon app, and your favorite pod streaming app. There's a lot of things to go over, as there usually is when you have a big slate of games like we did. Very important information to take moving forward because now the regular season is over this is the part where we all have to figure out what can we trust heading into our fantasy football playoffs what are the trends what can we sink our teeth into what we have to avoid those are all things that get analyzed in this show but the other problem too injuries and covid this is this covid Breakout today was worse than anything we've had in 2020. 36 players hit the COVID list. Now, thankfully, there's only a handful of them that are actually fantasy relevant. Um, I mean, for fantasy football purposes, obviously, we don't want anybody to have COVID or anything like that. And hopefully, everybody's going to get better real soon. But man, oh, man. Not only are you dealing with injuries, and there's been a lot of really key ones over the past couple of weeks leading into the playoffs. We still don't know if we're going to be getting certain people back or not. 
You're already setting up, you're already getting players that you would never anticipate having to throw into your lineup in your most important time of the season. But now we're dealing with the fact that running backs, wide receivers are popping up on the COVID-19 list on Fridays and Saturdays, making all of your plans for the week pretty much useless and you're having to pivot and pivot hard. So yeah, tomorrow's waiver wire is going to be very, very important. But the biggest piece of advice I can give you guys coming out of week 14 and heading into your first round of your playoffs is that you have to always have a backup plan for your backup plan for your backup plan. Believe it or not, I have spent the last few weeks making sure that I have a at least have a backup for my backup, that I have three options. I have my main option, I have my pivot option, and I had the pivot option to my pivot option because that's what this season has been the past few weeks. And it's only getting worse. People are going home for the holidays. They're getting around family. They're getting exposed to more people than they normally would. Remember, this is not last year. The NFL last season had all these protocols in place where you really couldn't leave the bubble of your team and without being able to get back in. Now, you know, because there's vaccination rules and unvaccinated rules, you're technically not restricted to the bubble. And apparently the NFL had some company-wide Christmas party Sunday night. I don't know how else to explain that you have that many COVID players hitting the reserve list Monday morning. So we're going to have to see how it all shakes out. We're going to keep you up to date on social media at Billy MDFF show. Make sure you're not just following us for our content, but following us along because we'll give you those player news notifications as they come in and make sure you guys have the edge over everybody else. And right now being the first one to the news or being the first one to have a game plan, when a news breaks about a player, about being on COVID or being injured or whatever the case may have you, that is going to be what makes or breaks you for the next few weeks. Look, the teams that make the playoffs, you're all about even-ish at this point. It's going to be about who makes that one extra ad, one extra grab, who's first to the waiver wire. That's what these weeks are going to be decided by. And, of course, you know which players get hot at the right time. But let's go ahead and start breaking down these games from yesterday. I like to start off at the 4 o'clock hour and work my way backwards here. So let's kick it off with the San Francisco 49ers and the Cincinnati Bengals. It wanted to be a great game. We were hoping it would be a good game. One of the few good games, one of the few close games on, on the slate for Week 14. A lot of blowouts, and we'll get into it as we go along. Now, this game should have been in the overtime, though. The 49ers were winning 20-6 to heading into the fourth quarter. The Bengals came back. Joe Burrow came to life. The weapons came to life. They made this thing go into overtime. The 49ers ultimately wind up getting the win from 26 to 23. But let's start on the Bengals side here. So Barrow's had a few weeks since he's been really that good, right? He's been having some interception troubles. They've been a run first team over the past few weeks and haven't had to really kick it into gear with their passing game. So he hasn't really been throwing for even over 200 yards all that consistently over the past month. But in this game, 348 yards, two touchdowns. I had him right inside the top 13 there because I kept emphasizing this. This was going to be at least a neutral to a negative game script for Cincinnati because you're playing as a good, competent team. And it's a mediocre secondary in San Francisco. One of the better matchups that the Bengals have had in the passing game over the past few weeks too because they had, they've had a tough schedule and it doesn't really get too much easier the rest of the way either. But T. Higgins continued to do T. Higgins things. Five catches, 114 yards, seven targets. The only thing he didn't do is score. Why? Jamar Chase got back on the positive side in a big way. He had two touchdowns in this game, five receptions, 77 yards on eight targets. I think what's interesting between the wide receivers is that Tyler Boyd actually played more than T. Higgins. Did. T. Higgins was still third in snaps and routes run, but he was still second in targets. 
and he was the number one leader in yards, tied for the most catches on th- with, with Jamar Chase on top of that. Tyler Boyd, look, I'll just keep reiterating this because people seem to want to keep bringing him back up, and he has been a little bit more involved over the past few weeks. That, that part is true. But Tyler Boyd, four catches, 55 yards on five targets. Again, there's just not much of a floor. There's not much of a ceiling. There's really no reason to have a Tyler Boyd on your team if you're in typical 10, 12-man leagues, whether it's half-point, full-point PPR, whatever. We can find more upside the wide receiver position right now moving forward than a Tyler Boyd. So you're sticking with T. Higgins. You're sticking with Jamar Chase. Chase re-emphasizing why he needs to be considered at least a low-end wide receiver one, if not a high-end wide receiver two in your lineups and playing every single week. And T. Higgins is a must-play mid-level with wide receiver one potential with the way he's been playing lately in your lineup every single week throughout the playoffs, despite the matchups moving forward. And Joe Burrow showing that, you know what, he can get back on track, hurt finger and all, doesn't matter. He actually threw the ball better this game around with a hurt hand He's going to be fine. Now, Joe Burrow is not somebody I'm looking to necessarily go after for the fantasy playoffs. Again, their schedule, not the greatest weeks 15, 16, and 17. But as long as he's throwing the ball that well, you don't have to worry about the wide receivers that do need to be in your lineups. Now, of course, Joe Mixon was kind of disappointing fantasy-wise. His worst game he's had in a month. But he did have 18 carries. And I do think that's significant because, again, the 49ers were winning this game 20 to 6 heading into the fourth quarter. So the fact that he still got 18 carries in what was largely a negative game script for this team does give you some comfort because it kind of it's the silver lining to the, the problem that is Joe Mixon right now, which is for whatever reason, whether there's a Genevieve Bernard or not, Zach Taylor refuses to allow Joe Mixon to be a workhorse back i don't know why it doesn't make any sense to me joe mixon is talented in every aspect of the game and he could be a workhorse elite level rb1 top three top four type of guy he has that skill set he can get 20 carries with five to seven targets and be able to be a, a true workhorse back they won't allow him to be one for whatever reason smaja perine mr slow-footed do nothing, not explosive at all. Samaja Perrine has to be the main pass catching back. He was in there on third and longs. He was in on the two-minute drill. He ran a few more routes. I'll get the number exactly, 22 to 15 as far as routes run for a Samaja Perrine compared to a Joe Mixon. Five targets compared to two. It's just annoying. It's just annoying because that should not be the case. He should not be losing touches to Samaja Perrine. Joe Mixon should not be game script dependent, but that is how they're utilizing him. So that's the part where, okay, at least in a negative, largely negative game script, they still made sure that he got 18 touches. And I'll take Joe Mix on 18 touches 10 out of 10 times, whatever that winds up getting me. Usually it'll find the end zone. Hopefully you weren't depending on Mixon to get you in the playoffs. He got it anyway, and now he's got his bad game out of the way, and hopefully it's a little bit better after this moving forward. But that's what you're looking out of. With Mixon, obviously, he's an RB1. You're not putting on your benches. He's in your starting lineups. But that's just kind of the usage that you have to be aware of when it comes to a Mixon right now, as frustrating as it is. I'll, I'll mention CJ Usama just because he was heavily involved in this game. Six targets, four catches, 56 yards. I mean, he's just in a slew of tight ends from 13 to 20 that are all pretty much about the same that you can kind of just lump in there. So I'll mention him because he was involved in this in this game, but Still not somebody who I'm looking to stream over anybody else in particular or going to be in my top 12. Let's switch things over to the San Francisco. 
So Jimmy Garoppolo, an interesting streaming quarterback. His name has popped up because, again, San Francisco's schedule. This was probably the last tough. I think they play the Rams one more time, but this was like the last really tough game that they had on their slate where Garoppolo's kind of become that streamable quarterback. 296 yards, two touchdowns in this one. The thing about Garoppolo is that he has such a low floor because typically speaking, he's not going to run a ton. And we know that the 49ers are playing their game and have their guys healthy, a la Elijah Mitchell. They're going to look to run first and not pass. The the sweet spot for Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers typically is Jimmy Garoppolo starting between 25, 30 times, no more than that a game. That's the sweet spot that they try to aim for. So anything more than that is just gravy that you can't necessarily count on. But at least Jimmy Garoppolo has been doing one thing very, very well lately, and that is get George Kittle the ball. Oh, my goodness. 13 catches, 151 yards, a touchdown, 15 targets, coming off the heels of a huge performance last week. Now, with Debo Samuel, this is opening things up for George Kittle. He's now being the featured pass catcher, and Brandon Ayuk kind of being like the second guy to George Kittle in that regard. He's actually playing ahead of Debo Samuel as far as snaps and routes run. He had six he had six catches for 62 yards and a touchdown on 11 to- usage and trusting Ayuk's usage comes at a cost for the Debo Samuel owner. Now, maybe this changes when Elijah Mitchell comes back, but this is now the third game out of the last four weeks, minus you know, minus the week that Debo Samuel missed last week because of the groin issue, where Debo Samuel's been more of a running back than he has been a wide receiver. He's only had one target for one catch three of the last four games. He hasn't been operating as a wide receiver. He's been operating as a running back. Now, he's scored every time those games as a running back, getting a rushing touchdown. He had eight carries yards and the touchdown in this one so he's saving your fantasy value he's still in your lineup but he's not the top five receiver that he was just a few weeks ago and it doesn't have much to do with his injury he still played a ton in this game so obviously they felt comfortable about his groin issue it has everything to do with for whatever reason since Brian Ayuk has been out of the doghouse instead of just featuring both Debo Samuel and Brian Ayuk in the passing game it's no, 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 it's Ayuk and George Kittle. You run all the routes, and Debo, we just use you as a chess piece. But even when he lines up as a wide receiver and runs his routes, they're not targeting him there anymore. It's still just Kittle and Ayuk. Debo gets his touches in the running game. Now, again, maybe that changed when Elijah Mitchell's back there, because when Elijah Mitchell's back there and healthy, he's been getting all the work. Debo Samuel got, got those like four, six carries in a couple of those games. That's not usage that... You can, one, trust that Debo's going to be able to always produce on, but two, doesn't make any sense that the 49ers would limit him to that amount unless he is severely injured, which he's clearly not because he wouldn't have played 55 snaps in this game if had he been. So I, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know that's something that's going to change. We'll have to see if Mitchell can come back. Remember, it's not just a concussion injury that he's dealing with. He's also dealing with a knee issue at the moment. Now, nothing considered severe as far as the knee goes, but enough to hinder him while also dealing with the concussion. And I'm not convinced that he'll definitely clear concussion protocol this week. Remember, he did not practice at all last week. Obviously, they said there's a hope for him, but they said there's a hope for him every week that he misses anyway. So you have to, that's, that's irrelevant, essentially, when it comes down to it. Remember, this is a guy that clear concussion protocol last week and then had symptoms Monday morning. And that's what caused him going to leak concussion protocol. 
I just know whenever that happens, I'm not a doctor, but I just know whenever that happens, the history has been not great for guys returning, especially that same week. But a lot of times they wind up missing the following week too. I go all out to say Jeff Wilson, it's, it's, it's good to point his usage out here. 13 carries, 56 yards. If you started him, yeah, you're probably disappointed from a fantasy performance because you didn't get a touchdown and he's not involved in, at all in the passing game. As far as the running back goes, Jamichael uh, Hasty, or it's more like a Debo Samuel coming out of the backfield, Kyle Juszczyk, everybody but Jeff Wilson gets to be involved in the passing game coming out of the backfield. However, the 13 carries, 56 yards is efficient. It's 4.3 yards a carry. That's the best he's looked all season long. It implicates that maybe he's getting a little bit better with the knee issue, getting a little bit more explosive. And had he scored a touchdown here, you would have been fine with his output. Remember, next week, they're playing Atlanta. So if Elijah Mitchell does miss, I think you need to keep Jeff Wilson on your roster if you picked him up. Wink, wink, we may be talking about him in the waiver wire report tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. But he's a guy that you're not bailing out on just because he's had a couple of disappointing fantasy performances when he's had the opportunity to be the lead guy. You still want a guy who's getting that kind of usage in the San Francisco backfield. Nothing really changes there. But I'm a little bit concerned about Debo Sam. He's in your lineup, but I'm a little bit concerned about his usage where he is definitely a bust candidate unless something were to change with the way the 49ers are utilizing their weapons at the moment. But let's go ahead and move on. Let's talk about the other really close game, the other the other really good game of the day. One of the few non-blowouts of the day. That's the Buffalo Bills and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, this game also goes to overtime, and the Bucs hit a lightning rod touchdown to Brashad Perryman in this game, who only had one catch for 58 yards and that touchdown, by the way. That's all he did. Tyler Johnson, who he split time with this time around, had three catches for 17 yards on three targets. Here's what I'm going to say to you. Everyone's going to make this this argument or this or point this out, at least this observation that Perryman went from being clearly the lead through the lead third receiver to now it's he's splitting time with Tyler Johnson. Here's what I'm going to say to you guys who cares until that third receiver is operated by the man named Antonio Brown. They're not a part of this offense, not in a significant way. The targets are just getting consolidated around a Mike Evans, a Chris Godwin in particular, and Rob Gronkowski. Chris Godwin, by the way, the second game in a row, he has double-digit targets, 15 in this one, 10 catches, 105 yards. Obviously, he's the biggest benefactor for Antonio Brown being out of the lineup. Why? He gets to play the slot receiver role all the time, and the off, you know, the off receiver, the wide receiver, the Z receiver to the X that is Mike Evans on a 24 seven basis. Mike Evans, by the way, does put together a solid game here, six targets, six catches, 91 yards and a touchdown. Today was a little bit weird because Tom Brady and Bruce Aarons were both talking about, Oh, we got to make sure we have a little bit more of a balance between running and passing the football. I think they've been doing a pretty good job. I mean, Leonard Fournette had 19 carries in this game. He has not been left out of the game plans at all. I don't know if they need to do any better job than than what they what they're doing the past couple of weeks. I think the big thing is that they throw the ball so much and it just feels like they're throwing all the time. That's because this offense is not just very good, but it's also up tempo and allows for a lot of opportunities. Tom Brady had 46 pass attempts in this game, 31, 363 yards, two passing touchdowns, and he got his vintage Tom Brady quarterback sneak at the one-yard line touchdown, too. 
So he had a tremendous fantasy day along with everybody else. Look, against Buffalo, without Tredavious White, this is not the same secondary. You can take advantage of this team. I think what's been a little bit more interesting is that apparently, no matter who you are, if you decide to commit to the run, you can run on Buffalo. That's a new development because earlier in the season, they were right up there with Tampa Bay as far as guys that you can't run on at all. So I find that very intriguing that so far when two teams the last couple of weeks have decided we want to run the football at you, against you, they've been able to do it with a lot of success. Leonard Fournette here, 19 carries, 113 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, he's been unbelievable. Leonard Fournette's a top five running back. The rest of the way has been that. He gets all the work everywhere. True workhorse back. G.M.I. Bernard picks up a knee injury. You know, I'm not exactly sure what his timeline is going to be, but we're not planning on seeing him anytime soon. He's definitely going to miss a few weeks. Not that Giovanni Bernard was getting involved anyway, but it just reassures you that Leonard Fournette is not losing this passing usage anytime soon. Four catches, 19 yards, and seven targets in this way. It also should tip you off that Ronald Jones is the one-for-one handcuff because now if Giovanni Bernard's out the way, if something were to happen to Leonard Fournette, all that work by default would probably go to Ronald Jones. Maybe you see a Keyshawn Vaughn get sprinkled in there as well, but they really haven't trusted Keyshawn Vaughn very much since they've drafted him. So I'd be a little hard pressed to see how much he would really be involved. But Ronald Jones would definitely is definitely a high value handcuff that you need to have, especially if you own Leonard Fournette. But Fournette's been absolutely phenomenal. That's not going to slow down. You just want everybody you can possibly have on this Tampa Bay offense. Rob Gronkowski, yes, he doesn't score this game, but five catches, 62 yards with nine targets. That is one hell of a floor to have at your tight end right now. And unless you have a George Kittle or Mark Andrews or Travis Kelsey, you know what I'm talking about. All right, there's nobody else better than a Rob Gronkowski. He is the tight end floor for me the rest of the way. Nothing changes there. On the Buffalo side of the ball, Everyone's talking about, oh, Buffalo decided they weren't even going to try to run. I don't know why people are surprised by this. This isn't a team that wants to try to run even when the matchup says they should, let alone against Tampa Bay, who is one of the top, is the top team against the rush this year. It's not what the Buffalo Bills are made of anyway. Josh Allen, 54 pass attempts, 36 completions, 308 yards, two touchdowns, and picks up the interception. And he went for 100 yards rushing. Of course, that 100 yards rushing comes at a cost. He picks up what they're calling a turf toe injury. They do believe he's going to be okay. He's going to play. But you have to expect that he's not going to look to run as much as he normally would dealing with that toe injury. His mobility will probably be limited to at least some degree. Now, I still think that when they get into the red zone, he'll still be a threat because he's a big-bodied guy. And even if he's... Even if his mobility is hindered down to 70%, that's still way more mobile than the majority of the quarterbacks out there. So I still think he has a chance to get rushing touchdowns here and there. But the games like this where he had 100 yards rushing or has a you know a bunch of yards rushing, I don't think he's going to look to push the envelope when it comes to that. So Josh Allen's fantasy value, or at least his floor anyway, is going to have to be taking a little bit of a hit. And that's kind of tough being that he's been kind of you know inconsistent to begin with. You have to play Josh Allen. You're not going to have a better option to play than a Josh Allen. But maybe while you're going to these playoffs, keep that in mind. Know that his floor is a little bit lower than normally would be. Maybe you have to roll the dice on that flex player, that third wide receiver, that second running back 
who maybe has more of an upside than the necessarily floor as you're playing against other teams that are probably going to be just as good as you are heading into your fantasy football playoffs. So that's kind of where you have to get that mindset in there as well. As far as the running backs go, I mean, only Devin Singletary and Matt Breida were active in this game. Singletary did the most of what he could. He had four carries, pumped out 52 yards, had a nice 29-yarder in this one. Uh, But you just don't want a Buffalo Bills running back. The only one you can even think about is Devin Singletary at the moment. Zach Moss, you never know if he's even going to be active or not, depending upon the match of the game. Look, just avoid it altogether. We talked about this last week. Trust and confidence. Trust and confidence is what you're looking for heading to your fantasy playoffs. There's no way in hell you have any trust or any confidence with a Buffalo Bills running back in your lineup or even on your bench, quite frankly, because that's the other thing to keep in mind here. We've been trying to prep you this for a couple of weeks now, but you're heading into your fantasy football playoffs. Your bench no longer needs to be littered with guys who may or may not have some sort of value for you. They're either a direct handcuff for your team, a player in which it would definitely play for you at some point during these fantasy football playoffs. You have it, you know, if you win this game, like, okay, I got this matchup week 16, I got this matchup week 17, or is a lotto ticket. Okay. You're not taking guys like Devin Singletary. It's like, oh, well, if somebody were to get hurt at some point, I, he, I could plug and play him. Maybe. No, there's no upside there. There's no ceiling. You're trying to win championships. You want to have guys that directly affect your starting lineup on a week to week basis or have some upside in case somebody gets injured and you're able to pick up a lot of tickets and go to the championship game if something like that were to happen. That's what you're looking for. You want to reduce and consolidate your roster. Okay, so guys like Devin Singletary shouldn't be on your teams, quite frankly. Stephon Diggs, obviously there was plenty of volume to go around. Seven catches, 74 yards on 13 targets. Doesn't score, so it's not necessarily the performance you're hoping for against a Tampa Bay team that has given up points to the wide receivers, especially when you figure out that Emmanuel Sanders went down pretty early on in this game. He might He's week to week. He's probably going to miss this upcoming week. So the fact he wasn't able to get in the end zone is a little bit rough. In Emmanuel Sanders' place, though, Gabriel Davis, he's going to be an interesting guy to keep an eye on. Five catches, 43 yards, a touchdown on eight targets, and he has kind of been overtaking the Emmanuel Sanders role anyway leading up to this point. So this has made give him the opportunity he needs to establish himself as what should be the true second wide receiver to a Stephon Diggs. So a guy that we'll probably talk about on the waiver report. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Woo, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. 
Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. That does have some potential in front of him to make the most of a situation, and he could actually be an upside little lotto ticket to take in your own right. Kind of like a KG Osborne for us last week. That very well could be a Gabriel Davis now moving forward who's got some upside, a team that likes to throw the ball a ton, can't run. That could be a Gabriel Davis. Keep your eye on him. Cole Beasley had nine catches for 64 yards and 11 targets. That volume, which he hadn't really been seeing much of over the past few weeks because of Dawson Knox's resurgence, is directly because one, well, two things. One, the 54 pass attempts by Josh Allen, but two, also the Emmanuel Sanders injury. It made them have to lean on Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley, I'm not interested in. Now, the reason why I'm more interested in a Gabriel Davis than I am a Cole Beasley is because touchdowns. Gabriel Davis has big play touchdown in his repertoire, in his you know possible outcomes in any given week. Cole Beasley, you're hoping you get games like this, where he winds up with nine receptions for at least 60-plus yards. Maybe he gets you a little bit more than that to put the cherry on top. But this kind of usage for Cole Beasley has not been consistent. And because Gabriel Davis has already been playing more as of late and probably will take over the Emmanuel Sanders role, I don't necessarily think Emmanuel Sanders being out will equate into Cole Beasley getting this kind of usage on a consistent basis. So he's not somebody who I'm looking at through your fantasy football playoffs. Dawson Knox, though, continues to be great. Seven catches, 60 yards, a touchdown on nine targets. I still have the Bills pass catchers ranked Stephon Diggs and then Dawson Knox. That is the order of which I'd want these guys catching from a Josh Allen, who now might have to run a little bit less. I take what the defense is giving him a little bit more, which could equal more volume, more opportunities for the pass catchers involved. All right, let's move into one of our blowouts, one of our many blowouts that we're going to have to talk about today. Detroit Lions and the Denver Broncos. Now, we knew going into this game, the Detroit Lions were, to say they were running on fumes is putting it lightly, <laughs> having to activate, what, seven-plus players from their practice squad in this game. No DeAndre Swift. Jamal Williams had to hit the COVID list late in the week, so they had no Jamal Williams. Look, there's a decent chance Jamal Williams is back next week. So before you go making a big deal about, oh, the Craig Reynolds of it all, who did have 11 carries for 83 yards, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. He had a nice little game and was by far the most efficient running back Detroit had to offer that day. Uh, there's a pretty good chance that Jamal Williams is back next week. And when Jamal Williams is back, he's the lead back. He's going to be the guy they start. He's going to be the guy getting 16-plus carries in the game, possibly 20 carries. Now, the drawback of Jamal Williams, of course, has been that for whatever reason, even when DeAndre Swift's not in the lineup, they don't really let him play the receiving down role. I don't know when that was a change. I, my, you know, my thought about Jamal Williams was always that he had a role there because he's such a good pass protector. And he ran decent enough routes. He had sure hands. You knew he got him the ball. He's going to get you four to five yards. Instead, they've had Gawain Iguebuque 
as the guy who's been operating as the passing down back instead of DeAndre Swift, regardless of who that main runner is. So would it be Craig Reynolds over a Jamar Jefferson? Probably again. But the reason why I don't say definitely, the people are overlooking Jamar Jefferson's still not 100% healthy. And Detroit came out and kind of said as much, which was kind of their explanation as to why he didn't get involved the way people thought he would, and why it was Craig Reynolds who wound up being the lead ball carrier at the end of the day. He's, I'm going to tell you right now, Craig Reynolds, not going to make my waiver wire list. Okay. I'm not picking up journeyman running backs who have no track record history of having any success in the NFL heading into my fantasy playoffs, especially when I know Jamal Williams at the very least, it will probably be back this week and assuming that role. So I'm not going to go out there and spend and go get a Craig Reynolds on top of my list. As far as my waiver wire pickups are, don't forget, they're not quite ruling out yet. Deandre Swift. Dan Campbell came out and said that in the case of Hawkinson and Swift, they're hopeful. Now, obviously, we got to see this come to fruition on the practice report. There's no doubt about it, but they're not ruling them out. And that is important when you have the report coming over the weekend that, oh, DeAndre Swift is a injured reserve candidate. That's what they were talking about. And with Dan Campbell saying that they're hopeful they come back, that kind of just throws cold water on the idea that Swift, at least for now anyway, is expected to be on the IR. Maybe if he were to miss this week, if he's not able to get back on the practice field at all this week and miss week 15, maybe they would just tell him to shut it down for the season at that point. It wouldn't surprise me, but that doesn't seem to be in the cards, at least not as of yet. So all that goes to say, I'm not touching a Detroit Lions running back that's not named Jamal Williams and or DeAndre Swift. I don't care who they are, what kind of volume they're getting, or if they have a decent day against Denver here. We'll, we'll stick on Detroit side of the ball because it's real easy, real simple to wrap up. Amon Ross St. Brown, he's the only guy I have any interest in, finally has back-to-back weeks where he's heavily involved. Eight catches, 73 yards. He had 12 targets in this game. And that was kind of our question going into it. I wasn't quite ready to trust an Amon Ross St. Brown, given that we've seen little flashes from him in the past this season, only to come back for another three, four weeks of absolutely no production whatsoever. He's taken over that role as that clear slot receiver. He's building that rapport with Jared Goff. And with TJ Hawkinson out and or hindered from a couple of weeks ago, he has dominated that middle area of the field where Goff is just targeting him over and over and over and over again. So if Hawkinson continues to miss, and he might, St. Brown will be a wide receiver three who we can trust is probably looking at double-digit target volume especially when you consider Detroit and the game scripts that they'll be in for the rest of the season. So I'm on Raw St. Brown is a guy that I do have interest in on your fantasy football radars moving forward with the usage I've now seen in back-to-back games, considering if TJ Hawkinson is in fact going to continue to have to miss. That's going to be the key there. Other than that, I'm not interested in a Detroit Lion. We switch things over to the Denver Broncos side, and I don't know how much there is to take out of this for the Broncos. We already knew... Both are running backs were the focal point of the offense. We already knew both are running backs are very effective, very productive. And we already knew when you start both the running backs of Melvin Gord and Javante Williams. I think there are some people out there who are not hoping or they're hoping and wondering if Javante Williams, after the big performance he had as a solo act the week before, would have given himself a leg up in the usage over Melvin Gordon because up until that point, whenever they split, it always leans a little bit more towards Melvin. 
Well, guess what? It's back to leaning more towards Melvin. You have to consider this a 55-45 split or maybe even a 52-47 split, 48 split, depending on how you want to look at this thing. It's pretty close to 50-50. Melvin Gordon, though, 24 carries compared to Javante Williams, 15, all while picking up a thumb sprain in the process that didn't slow him down at all. 111 yards to 73 yards. Gordon gets two rushing touchdowns. Williams gets one rushing touchdown and also picks up the receiving touchdown, though. One catch, 10 yards, the one touchdown on two targets. That's called efficiency right there. I will say this. Melvin Gordon did not have a single target in this game. That is something that's kind of changed back and forth from week to week, too. So just because that's happened here doesn't mean now Javante Williams has more of the passing down work than a Melvin Gordon. It could easily just flip back the other way starting next week. The point is this. You're playing Melvin Gordon. You're playing Javante Williams. They're both RB2s. And as of late, they've both been getting in the end zone a hell of a lot. So you can trust and play both these guys. What you can't trust, what you can't play, is a single Bronco pass catcher outside of Jerry Judy. Judy has a low floor, low end, wide receiver three, wide receiver four that you can kind of predict on a week-to-week basis because he's always going to be the number one target. In this game, he had six targets compared to five for Alberto, five for Tim Patrick, four for Noah Fant. The problem is that he doesn't have much upside for big play because the routes that he's running and Teddy Bridgewater being the quarterback, and he's not usually the go-to guy when they do throw the ball inside the red zone either. So he kind of gets held out in this limbo where he's just this low-end wide receiver three, high-end wide receiver four because he gets enough volume. And if Denver's in a neutral or negative game script, then he gets to you know get probably around eight targets, maybe a little bit more. Outside of that, there's, there's no way you're playing anybody. Noah Fant, after I went on this big rant on him last week, of course, winds up being the lead quote-unquote receiver as far as yards goes anyway. Four catches, 51 yards on four targets. But Albert O had 41 yards on five catches and a touchdown on five targets. <laughs> like Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, five targets apiece, six targets apiece. Cortland Sutton, he gets left out of the mix. One catch for nine yards on two targets. Cortland Sutton, I mean, look, he's off your fantasy football teams. I, I think we've all, especially 10, 12 man redraft leagues, he's off your fantasy football team. He's got no value whatsoever. But this is, it's downright criminal that Cortland Sutton has become completely irrelevant with the talent he has on what should be a very good offense. And yeah, I do put this on Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, I, but not just Teddy Bridgewater. I also put this on the coaching staff. He is too good of a player, and you just paid him a, a crap ton of money to suddenly sit there and say, we're not going to feature you in any capacity because that's what's happening right now. He is not a thought as far as who we want to feature and get the ball to at all. Look, when it comes to any pass catcher Denver Broncos, I'd rather not have them. I'd rather them not be on my team. I only care about Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams the rest of the way. If I can get away from everybody else, I would. Let's talk about the Chargers and the Giants before we head into the break. So the score wound up being a lot closer than what this game actually was, and even the score wasn't that close. 37-21, the Giants scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. This game was never, never in doubt. Justin Herbert, once again, doing the majority of his damage in the first half. Three touchdowns, 275 yards, just 31 pass attempts. It was very efficient in this game, but the Giants have no defense luck whatsoever. So here's what's interesting. On one hand, yes, Mike Williams was a bit disappointing because you know you had no Keenan Allen. Jalen Guyton, Joshua Palmer looked at as guys that are more 
down the field threats, kind of like a Mike Williams. And Williams has been kind of operating a little bit differently in his role and his route tree this year. You thought maybe they would allow him to be the kind of like the Keenan Allen role. That didn't really wind up happening. He Mike Williams still played his role where he got to operate closer to the line of scrimmage, where he got to make sure he got a decent amount of targets. I mean, six targets there. Remember, Justin Herbert only threw the ball 31 times. But he doesn't score. He doesn't make the big play. And that's especially painful when he's playing against New York Giants, no Keenan Allen, and you had to watch Jalen Guyton and Joshua Palmer both score touchdowns in this matchup. Now, ultimately, I'm going to say this. Mike Williams' value doesn't change to me. He's still a low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three. They got a match against Kansas City coming up on Thursday. Yes, Kansas City has been pretty good, but there's a good chance that game can turn into a shootout or a higher scoring type of game, you're going to want Mike you're going to want Mike Williams in that game. There's a good upside opportunity there, especially if Keenan Allen misses again, but even if he doesn't, you like you might even like it more if Keenan Allen doesn't miss quite frankly for Mike Williams. What was interesting about this game and watching the splits is that Joshua Palmer got the Keenan Allen role. He ran the Keenan Allen routes underneath. He had seven targets in this game. He was actually a lead targeted guy, which is fascinating. Because he has operated as the fourth receiver all season long. It's been Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and sometimes Jalen Guyton gets mixed in there. We haven't seen much of Joshua Palmer. I like him a lot. Great rookie coming out of Tennessee. One of the deeper round guys that I I touted. I liked his talent. Um, I think he makes a lot of sense as an eventual Mike Williams replacement because I don't think they're going to re-sign Mike Williams. It wouldn't make any sense to when you have guys like Guyton and Palmer who I think could fill that role quite easily. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. But it was just interesting to watch that it was him getting that role, not Mike Williams. So something to kind of keep in mind there when you go to Kansas City, if Kean Allen doesn't play, don't expect Mike Williams' role to change. And he still kind of is the value that he is. I will say this, though. I'll take six catches for 61 yards with that higher floor than what we were getting with the two-catch, 30, 40, 50-yard performances we were getting for the string there in the midway point of the season. So he still has more value than he did then. Still not as much value as he had early in the season. Low in wide receiver two, high in wide receiver three. I think you are probably playing Mike Williams in your lineups if you are in the fantasy playoffs more than more than not. Obviously a big story, Austin Eckler picking up, or I shouldn't say picking up, or re-aggravating an ankle injury. He had 12 carries for 67 yards and a touchdown in this one. Two catches, 17 yards on four targets. Luckily, he gets you the touchdown before he gets injured in this game. There seems to be a lot of optimism that he's going to still be able to make this Thursday night game. We'll have to wait and see. Today, 
the estimation for practice because they didn't actually have a practice was that he would not have practiced today. That really doesn't mean anything, though. Tomorrow, when they actually practice on Tuesday, Wednesday, if he's still not out there, you may have to make sure you have other plans, a pivot plan for an Austin Eckler. Unfortunately, there's no handcuff to grab on the Chargers. You can't look at the Chargers and say, okay, Austin Eckler, who's the next man up, and go to that well for your resource because there is none. Joshua Kelly had 10 carries. Justin Jackson had nine. Remember, Larry Roundtree, who has consistently played ahead of Joshua Kelly at times, at least when it came to usage, when they're both active in the game, he wasn't activated for this game. So he would be if Austin Eckler was out. There's not a single Charger running back I would even want to bother picking up if Austin Eckler could not go. I think the one who has the most upside is Justin Jackson. He's the one who's most like an Austin Eckler but he's not going to get all the work to himself. He's not going to get the Austin Eckler level of workload. That much is certain. So there's not a guy that I'm looking to pick up to replace Austin Eckler. So if you are if you have to replace Eckler, you're doing it from outside of the Chargers organization. You're going to have to look elsewhere on the waiver wire, or hopefully you have a decent option there on your bench. But right now, my gut is telling me with reading the tea leaves that there's a better than 50% chance that Eckler will find a way to play in a pivotal game on Thursday night against Kansas City. This is a big divisional matchup game here. Chargers have a chance to actually fight for first place if they can get this win. So I think if Eckler can go, he will go, and he would have his normal workload. So I'm not going to worry about that aspect of it either. Flip over the Giants side. The only thing we need to talk about is Saquon Barkley. We don't we don't need to talk about anybody else. 16 carries or 64 yards in this game, and... And he had the three catches, 31 yards, picks up the garbage time touchdown at the end of the game. What's troubling to me, more so than the Giants just being an overall crappy team and Barkley having to salvage his fantasy day in garbage time, which that part is probably going to continue to happen for the rest of the season. What's interesting and worrisome to me on the Saquon Barkley perspective is that Devontae Booker operated more as an actual committee than a backup in this one. So when Saquon Barkley's been back, it's been mostly the Saquon Barkley show and Booker coming in to give him a break here and there. Maybe he comes in for a drive in the third quarter, maybe in the second quarter, just to give him a, a longer extended break on a particular part of the game. But in this game, it was Barkley on the field and then a couple of plays later, it'd be Booker on the field. It felt more like a committee. I don't know if that's going to be the plan moving forward. If that's going to be the trend moving forward, but it's something you kind of have to watch. Now, we're in the playoffs. You're like, okay, well, what does that mean? What do I do with Saquon Barkley? You're still playing him because overall the usage was high enough between the pass and run ratio. He still had, I mean, he still had 19 touches overall with a touchdown. So Saquon Barkley, yes, he's an RB2. No, he's not an RB1, but he's still going to be in your lineups. I will say this though if you have Barkley, you make it through week 15, and Booker maintains this. 60-40 role that was pretty much taking place in this game today, you might have to start to look at, okay, do I have other options with more upside in case you feel like you just need to go for the jugular? Because we're kind of at that part of the season where you might have to take some chances in certain situations. I think more times than not, though, you're not going to have a better option than the Saquon Barkley as an RB2. I think he's just fine there. You can't have the RB1 level expectation you want him to get a majority of the volume because at least it gives him a chance to maybe get inside that top 10 if he scores a touchdown or two in a given week. But at the very least, 
He's got a solid RB2 floor. He's still involved in the passing game. He's still getting uh, you know double-digit carries, more than 15 carries, which is basically what you're looking for for a running back. And you can look at it this way. Barkley and Devontae Booker, while they might have eaten into each other a bit, they, kind of like the Denver situation, they are the focal point of the offense. The rushing game, the running backs, both the, in both the passing game and the rushing game, are the focal points of the offense right now because the only ones that can move the ball consistently. Receivers can't stay healthy, nor can they get open. So the Giants are all about Barkley and then, I guess, Booker spelling him uh, possibly more so than we would want to in the meantime. I mean, look at this game. They were trailing the entire game, getting blown out the entire game. Nobody had more than five targets, which was, I'm sorry, nobody had more than eight targets, which was Kenny Galladay, but he only had two catches, 15 yards. Then the second most was five targets for Devontae Booker. And then Saquon Barkley, who had three. So you don't want any Giants wide receiver. Darius Tony just got sent on the COVID-19 reserve list today. So even if he can't play, yes, it would be Sterling Shepard again. It's Mike Lennon at quarterback. I never thought I'd say this, but the Giants actually really miss having Daniel Jones out there, especially when you compare it to Mike Glennon and or what could have been Jake Fromm had Mike Glennon not gotten cleared from concussion protocol. And from what I understand, Daniel Jones is getting his neck checked out by a second opinion again today. A lot of rumors circulating that he's going to have to shut it down for the year. I think the only reason why the Giants haven't decided just to go ahead and shut him down for the year because this is a real chance this might be the last year Daniel Jones gets to be the starting quarterback. Because you figure after this year, David Gellman is going to be gone. That means Joe Judge most likely will be gone. They're going to be moving on and looking for a new quarterback next season because this team has too much talent at the skill position players. They have too much money invested. They have some big long-term decisions they're going to have to make this offseason. I'm pretty sure they're going to be looking for a quarterback to turn to after, after this year. So, I think that's why they're not ruling him out just yet because they're trying to give him the opportunity to maybe try to make a comeback, if at all possible. But here's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, we have more games to break down from Week 14, talk about what we can trust, what we can't trust going into your playoff matchups. Everybody stay tuned. The MD's Fantasy Football Show. We'll be back with you guys right after this. MD Nation, we want to welcome in a new sponsor of the show called Props Fantasy from PropsFantasy.com. Props Fantasy is a website and app which allows users to import their season-long fantasy teams to challenge other season-long fantasy teams. Their crucial difference is that you can challenge other teams that you are not playing in your league that week or aren't even in your league or not even on the same platform. The idea behind Props Fantasy is to let casual season-long fantasy players use the teams they already have to engage in daily fantasy-type contests for winnings. Users can wager anything from $1 up to $1,000 on a head-to-head challenge. Props Fantasy even harmonizes the scoring. If you are in a PPR league and your opponent is not, Props Fantasy will default to a half-point PPR or you can manually adjust it. They also handle things like standard lineup versus super flex. Their developers are fantasy football diehards and have thought of everything, including IDP. So if you think your season-long team is not just the best in your league, but the best in all leagues, this is your chance to find out and win money when you sign up for the Props Fantasy app today at PropsFantasy.com. So join in on the fun. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. And welcome. 
Welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening and or watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Streaming to you live on social media at BillyUpMDFFShow. And of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check us out after the show on your favorite pod streaming app. And download us on the Amazon App Store on your Fire TV and or Android devices. Just the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Catch every episode live or go back on, we have all the records there too, throw us up on the big screen. Get a nice little picture, nice little view as we talk some fantasy football and bets of the week, which by the way, Chris, I, and uh, Chaz, we do our show, the MD's DFS contest and lock bets of the week every single Friday night. Uh, we gave out some winners. We did quite well. So MD Nation, I know if you guys listen to us, you definitely won some money this past weekend. Always really happy when we're able to do that. Nice little side thing to go along with hopefully your fantasy football win. Let's try to win you guys some championships. By continuing on here with our coverage, you got the Seattle Seahawks, the Houston Texans. Seahawks actually blew somebody out. It's a miracle. I honestly didn't think they could do it because they play slow, so slow paced. And they were the second slowest paced team of the week. Who's the slowest? Oh, that's right. That'd be the Houston Texans. <laughs> even as Houston Texans, even a game which they scored 33 points, they still can't pick up the pace. Unbelievable. But Russell Wilson looks more like Russell Wilson. He was throwing deep balls with accuracy in this game. He was 17 of 28. That's, you know, I'm more used to that kind of a stat line as far as completion to pass attempts. And 260 yards, two touchdowns. You're still not playing Russell Wilson in your fantasy lineups. He's still not running. He only had two attempts for eight yards in this game. And he's still not quite to the point where you can expect him to go 300 yards and three touchdowns on limited pass attempts. So you're not playing Russell Wilson. He shouldn't even be. Honestly, I'd be fine if you dropped Russell Wilson. If you're in 10, 12 man redraft leagues and you're in the fantasy playoffs, you're not going to play him. You're not going to, you're never going to trust to play him weeks 15, 16 or 17. It's not, it's not going to happen or 18. If you happen to be in a amateur hour type of league, but as long as he continues to play a little bit better, look a little bit healthier, the wide receivers, you can start to play Tyler Lockett, Big day, five catches, 142 yards, a touchdown on nine targets. But he's had a nice floor, even through this stretch, where everybody's wondering what the heck is going on with Russell Wilson. Tyler Lockett has had a nice floor every single week, and now a nice blow-up game here. Tyler Lockett is one of the more trustworthy wide receivers in fantasy football right now. I say that with great surprise, because one, that's not that's never his game anyway, and two, we're talking about a guy that literally a little more than a month ago was being talked about as a guy you couldn't even use in your lineup, period, for fantasy football purposes. Well, that that at least has changed for Tyler Lockett. Now, the other guy, you know, that DK Metcalf guy, that giant guy, that wonderful beast, human freak of a man. Look, he had eight targets. You like the continued target role that he's had over the past couple of weeks, kind of getting back to his more normal usage pattern. They're consolidating more around Lockett and Metcalf. They didn't try to ever did get a touchdown, but they didn't try to go to Everett as much as they had the first couple of weeks of Russell Wilson getting back from his injury was doing. Metcalf should have had at least two touchdowns in this game. I mean, I mean minimum. He had one call back to penalty, another one where Russell Wilson, you know, threw a completely inaccurate ball. He should have caught in the end zone. No argument can be made for three. He should have had at least two touchdowns in this game. So I take that as a positive development. You're going into the playoffs. You have DK Metcalf. Again, Russell Wilson looked better, and you know that Metcalf had opportunities taken off the table for him that he should have been able to have and normally would. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. You're not worried about the foot injury in Metcalf. He's playing his normal workload. He looks explosive. He's getting open. So you're not consider, you're not worried about it. I actually do trust Metcalf as a wide receiver too with top 10 upside going into my playoff weeks. There's no way heading into week 15, my first round of the playoffs, there's no way DK Metcalf is going to be on my bench. None whatsoever. There's nobody who has a bigger ceiling than DK Metcalf does. He's due to hit big. That's for sure. The usage is there. The, the opportunities are there. All he needs to do is start hitting on them, which with the way Russell Wilson looked this past game might be closer to doing. So you love Tyler Lockett. He's a safer play. He's the best Seattle receiver at the moment, fantasy-wise. But DK Metcalf, there's no way he's not in my lineup. Outside of that, obviously, the running back is the big story of the day. So what is it this week? I said, look, you cannot trust and or play a Seattle Seahawks running back. And I still stand by that advice because we had not seen it. We knew Alex Collins was going to be active. They talked about there was going to be a split with him and Rashad Penny. There was talk that Penny wasn't necessarily 100% healthy. Of course, he winds up having the big game here. Now, it doesn't hurt that they were playing the Houston Texans who have given up on the season and were never able to tackle all that well to begin with. So it definitely doesn't hurt. Rashad Petty goes 16 carries for 137 yards and two touchdowns. Breaks a big 47-yarder. The next guy up was Alex Collins. He had seven carries, 16 yards. Keep in mind, Travis Homer was inactive, so the passing down back was still DJ Dallas. It wasn't like Rashad Penny got involved in that role. They don't play Houston every single week, okay? (laughs) They just don't. Now, here's the thing about Penny. Should he be somebody that he's available in your waiver wire you go pick up? Probably, because after this performance here, the argument should and can be made that he should at least be getting first crack as a starter, be the lead guy over Alex Collins. And I think he will, at least for next week. But at the same time, we know Rashad Penny has a hard time staying healthy through four quarters. So if you're in the fantasy football playoffs, I hope you'd have other options to be able to go to. Maybe you pick up a Rashad Penny so somebody else doesn't have him, but I'm hoping you're not picking him up with the idea that you need to actually play him. Although you might, like I said, between the COVID and the injuries that we're having, you might need a Rashad Penny. So again, I think he's worth having on your team because he definitely should have earned himself the role to be the starter the rest of the way, as long as he is healthy, especially over Alex Collins, who's done really nothing outside of one game this season. But we know the risk that comes with a Rashad Penny, too. And when they don't play teams like Houston, I don't know how much they can get away with getting the receivers involved and the running game involved 
with the slow pace of play that they play at. So just to kind of keep your heads up. I basically all I have to say is like I'm not breaking the bank going after Rashad Penny. He's not necessarily even going to be my first choice, but he is going to be a choice nonetheless. On the Houston Texans side of the ball, so Davis Mills, he's named the starter for the rest of the season. There was even a report before the game that was saying, hey, you know what? If Mills plays well the rest of the way, the Texans might not even bother to address the quarterback position in 2022. First and foremost, that would be a, a major mistake because Davis Mills is garbage. He'll be lucky if he's a backup quarterback for 10 years in this league or for five years in this league, frankly. He's not good. But he was better than Tyrod Taylor has been. 33 of 49, 331 yards, a touchdown. He actually put up a decent stat line, believe it or not. The Houston Texans typically have not thrown the ball that much. Now, they were trailing big in this game early. And again, because their defense is starting to give up, the team started to give up, they might be in more crucial or harsher, I should say, negative game scripts. Something that's interesting about Houston, they haven't been winning games. They're not very good, but they haven't been getting blown out very often. And this is a team that has proven time and time again, really to some extent they still did it in this one, that no matter what they have at the running back position, they are going to run all those running backs as much as they possibly can. Okay, even Rex Burkhead and Royce Freeman had 11 carries apiece in this game. And that has usually speaking limited because they also play at a slow pace on offense. That has usually limited the amount of pass attempts that are even available for this team. They do tend to throw the ball a little bit more on a per game basis with Davis Mills back there than they were doing with Tyrod Taylor. So all I have to say is to get to the main point of who is actually the fantasy relevant player here. Well, that's Brandon Cooks who finally gets back on track. Eight catches, 101 yards, and 11 targets. Chris and I talk about Brandon Cooks. Like, look, he's still a high-end wide receiver three because of his track record, his talent in the matchup here, but he's not somebody I necessarily want to trust. And he's a wide receiver three because I couldn't trust him because really the algorithm wanted to put him as a wide receiver two, and he wound up having a nice performance here. Should have probably listened to the algorithm. But if you're looking at what trends were as of late, there's just not enough volume. There's... Brandon Cooks on six targets on this team is not enough to have any confidence that he's going to be able to produce at an acceptable fantasy level and not, you know, lose you a playoff matchup. But with Davis Mills back in there, being that they throw the ball a little bit more, with the de- with the defense even easier to run on, even easier to put up points on as we move forward here, more games like this, maybe not 49 pass attempts, but games where it's 35 plus pass attempts out of Davis Mills are likely to happen the rest of the way. If you like the matchup with Brandon Cooks, and they got another good one coming up here this week, if you like the matchup with Brandon Cooks and playing as the Jacksonville Jaguars, there's a decent chance you can expect Davis Mills to have about 35 or more pass attempts. If he has that many pass attempts, Cooks has an excellent chance to get you eight or more targets and get into the double digit area which is where you need him to be if you want him to be the fantasy asset that you need him to be, like he was in this game. Nico Collins, just to kind of note, he did have 10 targets as well, five catches, 69 yards. Nothing you're going to jump in fantasy-wise, but just kind of curious that he kind of had a 1A, 1B role going on there with Brandon Cooks, where I, I am a little bit concerned if you lessen that volume from 49 to 35, does Cooks give you this matchup? But this was at least a game in the right direction where, okay, we look at this objectively, look at how different the offense was with Davis Mills back in it. If they play the way they did there, there should be enough volume for Cooks to get back to being a solid floor 
startable fantasy option for you heading into week 15, which is a nice matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I spent entirely too much time on that one game. So especially again, it was that, you know, ridiculous. Let's move on to the saints and the New York jets. And we'll make this real simple. Taysom Hill has to be a top 10, top eight quarterback. The rest of the way, the rest of the way guy had two rushing touchdowns in this game, 73 yards on the ground. Sean Payton is committed to using Taysom Hill as a running back with a sprinkle of passing on top. Again, I go back to it. Whatever Taysom Hill gives you in the passing game is just gravy. And if he has a game like this where he doesn't turn the ball over, doesn't throw interceptions and give you negative points on top of it, he's going to be a guy who can get you a top five performance any given week. Do I always expect him to have two rushing touchdowns? No. But what I thought was kind of nice to see is that Kamara was able to have a big game and a rushing touchdown while Taysom Hill had two rushing touchdowns in this matchup. Now, obviously, not everybody they play is going to be the Jets the rest of the way. They have a difficult matchup against Tampa Bay next week. But we all know how valuable fantasy quarterbacks are when they run the ball the way Taysom Hill does. And in Taysom Hill's case, volume running is at play here. We know he's going to run the ball at least eight times in a game, possibly even more. Had 11 carries in this game. We know he's going to run that much. You have a stapled floor of about 15 points, 14, 15 points just off of his rushing ability. And then you get to tackle on about another five to 10 points, depending on what he gives you in the passing attack. It, it makes Taysom Hill a startable quarterback the rest of the way for your fantasy football playoffs. If you have a quarterback that you necessarily can't trust, you've been streaming, got hurt, whatever the case may be, Taysom Hill is an excellent option to have on your team and could be a part of a lot of championship teams down the road. Really could be. It was good to see Alvin Kamara back. 27 carries, 120 yards, and a touchdown. Not only just back, but back to be an RB1. It's not a secret. By the way, he had four catches for 25 yards and five targets. It's not a secret. This offense is going to revolve around an Alvin Kamara, around a Taysom Hill, what they're able to give you on the ground. The one thing I just want you guys to keep in mind is that Mark Ingram was not active for this game. Mark Ingram has definitely come into his old Saints Mark Ingram role as far as a volume standpoint is concerned. I don't think that changes once he returns. So, for instance, Alvin Kamara getting 27 carries in this game, I think there's a good chance that maybe that would have only wound up being 17 and Mark Ingram getting 10. So just kind of keep that in mind. Doesn't mean Alvin Kamara is not still, you know, a top five RB1 the rest of the week because he is. He's Alvin Kamara. He looked great and, you know, Look at the running back situations right now. He's definitely a top five guy. But just expect that volume to be a little bit less. So you're going to want his passing usage to tick up a little bit. I do think it was a positive note that he had five targets in this game where maybe Taysom Hill learned his lesson from last year, and that is make sure you get Alvin Kamara the ball. Now, part of it might be because Taysom Hill doesn't have Michael Thomas like he did last season, where he was targeting Michael Thomas all over again or running, essentially. And that's kind of why Kamara had these dud games with Taysom Hill at the quarterback position. That's not the same case this year. I do believe Kamara will be looked at as the number one passing option when Mark Ingram does come back into the fold, and therefore he'll have enough volume either way. He'll be able to score touchdowns. I don't think you have to worry about Kamara having that that dud-out streak that he had last year with Taysom Hill at the quarterback position when you actually look at the circumstances around the scenes. And I don't care about anyone else on the Saints at all. I really don't care about anyone on the Jets, to be to be frank with you. Other than to say, remember, next week, Michael Carter does come back. 
He was trending as an RB2 because he was starting to get a lot of volume. They were really starting to trust him. He was, and he's definitely going to come back, and he's gonna, definitely going to be their best passing option because Elijah Moore had to go on the injury reserve. We know Corey Davis is on the injury reserve. Corey Davis' season is definitely done. Elijah Moore is probably all but done. Maybe he comes back for that last week. I don't know why he would, but maybe he does. So Michael Carter, he comes back. He's going to be the top offensive weapon the Jets have. They will probably use him as such. So I do think even the first round of the playoffs, you think it'd be a little bit shaky with a guy coming back like that. I do think you can at least view him as an RB3, at least view him as a flex play because they need him to get any kind of offense going. Look at this game. Zach Wilson was 19 of 42, way less than 50%. They were only able to run the ball 13 times with running backs. Seven carries to Michael Perrine, six carries to Ty Johnson. Neither one were particularly all that effective. The passing game without Corey Davis and without Elijah Moore was brutal. And it wasn't even James Crowder who benefited from the volume. It was like, okay, well, Crowder, maybe he becomes a wide receiver three in PPR leagues because the volume just might be there. Mm-mm. Six targets, three catches, 19 yards. It was Braxton Berrios, six catches, 52 yards, and 10 targets. Outside of Michael Carter, I have zero interest in any Jets player for weeks 15, 16, 17, or 18 if you're in those amateur hour leagues, as I always like to point out. So let's move to Carolina and Atlanta. There's a lot more things going on in this game that are kind of interesting. So let's start with the Carolina side. They lose this game 21 to 29. Cam Newton has a decent fantasy day because he does what you need Cam Newton to do. He does what you play him for. Gets 10 carries, 47 yards, has a rushing touchdown. Does throw a pick. Wasn't four picks, at least. Does throw a pick in this game. He was 15 of 23, 178 yards. Everyone keeps calling this a benching that took place during the game with P.J. Walker. Well, Matt Rule has since clarified, and I didn't think it was a benching when it was happening because they said going into the game that there was probably going to be certain situations that P.J. Walker might play ahead of Cam Newton. Now, after the game, they made more of a clarification that P.J. Walker is just more well-versed in a two-minute drill offense in this system as it stands right now. And I believe it. The biggest reason why I believe it, the biggest reason why I believe that it was not really a benching, why it was a situational pre-planned football experience, because we know what P.J. Walker is, okay? And so did they. They know P.J. Walker is not a guy who has any chance whatsoever in being a competent NFL starter week in and week out. He's not going to overtake Cam Newton for the starting quarterback job. The only person who could overtake Cam Newton would be when Sam Darnold is healthy and returns. Or I thought there was no way Sam Darnold get his job back, but Cam is terrible. So outside of running the football, he's absolute garbage. So maybe Sam Darnold would, because Matt Rule is coaching for his job, and he should be. He should be after firing Joe Brady. If he didn't fire Joe Brady, I was willing to give him a pass for another year. But if you're actually going to use scapegoats, all the attention now goes on you. They don't pull. If they don't turn this thing around quickly, he belongs in the hot seat. He belongs. He deserves to get fired. And I think that's what he's fighting for right now. So you're going to see situations where going to a drill, I think P.J. Walker, I got more confidence in him to run the offense. He will just throw him in there. I don't think this was a benching for Cam Newton. Now, what does this mean fantasy-wise moving forward, though? If you're going to take my quarterback out of two-minute drill, well, that's where a lot of fantasy points are had. Whether you're a scrambling or a throwing quarterback, it doesn't matter. You would want your guy in on those situations. So where Cam was 
a guy that was hovering around my top 12 for the past few weeks just because of his rushing ability. He'll still be inside my top 15. He'll still be in that territory where you can consider streaming him if need be. But I'm going to be a little bit more hesitant on him because now you're dealing with the fact that your ceiling is cut down a little bit. Your floor is a little bit lower. If I actually have to worry about PJ Walker coming in and stealing all my best opportunities, you know, for my quarterback to put up points. So that's what we're considering. That's what we're taking consideration moving forward. But I definitely, I do believe Carolina when they say this wasn't a benching. I actually don't think that's coach speak. I actually do reading tea leaves. That's kind of what I expected this to be. DJ Moore picks up a hamstring injury. Thankfully, he had six catches for 84 yards on 10 targets before he left. So he didn't dodge you out or kill you or anything like that. But I would be a little bit surprised if he was able to come back and play right away in week 15. So you may have to have a pivot option off of DJ Moore. Not that he's been overly fantastic since the beginning part of the season anyway, but you may not even have him as that guy who at least, well, yeah, he's got a floor as a low-end wide receiver two, wide receiver three, and a good matchups like this one, you trust to play him. You're going to have to probably have another option. That other option, I do believe, can be Robbie Anderson. I am going to talk about Robbie Anderson on the waiver report. A lot of people are staying away from him, and I was the biggest proponent this season. MD Nation, you know this. I kept telling you guys over and over and over again, especially with Sam Darnold in there, there's no real connection between Sam Darnold and Robbie Anderson. The production that they had in New York was contextualized around the idea that they were already out of the playoffs, and Darnold decided at the end of the season he would just throw it up for grabs down the field, and Robbie Anderson, being that he is a good, talented wide receiver, would come down with it and make these big plays. But it wouldn't be until the season was well in hand that they would actually start to open things up where Darnold would actually start to take chances. And there is no real actual rapport chemistry with him and Robbie Anderson. So stay away from him. He's going to be one of my biggest busts in the year. I was right about all that, but now I'm going the other way. If DJ Moore is going to be out, Robbie Anderson is going to get a crap ton of volume because now it's getting real slim on what kind of offensive weapons Carolina even has to offer from a week-to-week basis. In this game alone, you already saw it. DJ Moore goes out. Robbie Anderson gets 12 targets, 7 catches, 84 yards, and a receiving touchdown in this game. Of course, that came from P.J. Walker, but he's the only guy left standing. Chuba Hubbard, 10 carries, 33 yards, and a touchdown. Amir Abdullah, he had 4 carries, 16 yards, tacked on 2 catches, 17 yards, and 4 targets. That's their offense. So Robbie Anderson is in a situation where if there's no DJ Moore, he very well might be getting double-digit targets until DJ Moore returns. So I think Robbie Anderson is somebody who might actually be not, I don't think he is, he will be inside my top 36 heading into week 15 for your fantasy football playoffs, believe it or not. And I, I'm just surprised when I say this because I've been bashing Robbie Anderson for so long this season that to now flip the script and say, hey, Robbie Anderson is somebody that I actually think we can trust in your fantasy football playoffs. It's a weird thing to say, but that's what you're taking out of this game. When you actually read how this game went, you can play Robbie Anderson because the volume's going to go his way. Chuba Hubbard, he's a touchdown-dependent RB3. Amir Abdullah is involved enough to where I don't think Hubbard can really be an RB2 on a week-to-week basis without Christian McCaffrey because Abdullah has taken that passing role from him so he doesn't have that floor. So he has to score in order to give you the fantasy football return. And in Amir's case, yes, he's the passing down back but because Cam Newton is not really a check down, is not really a check down quarterback. He's not going to target Amir Abdul the way he would a Christian McCaffrey. 
I don't think Amir Abdullah is actually a play. Unless something were to happen to Chuba Hubbard, then maybe he would take over the volume from that standpoint. But I don't think he's actually a play. And a guy that I was picking up and was stashing to kind of see what happens, I was waiting to see what happens in this game. So for Amir Abdullah, honestly, I don't think there's really any reason to own him. Prepare to be flushed. Not enough of a floor there to be playing him at all or even considering him in your fantasy football playoffs. On the flip side, we go to the Atlanta Falcons. We know this is a good defense in Carolina. We weren't expecting much out of Matt Ryan. Cordell Patterson was kind of a, a bittersweet player in this game, right? He gets you 16 carries, 58 yards, eh, but he does get you the rushing touchdown. Billy gets you two catches for a yard and five targets. And there was a pivotal point in this game in the second half where he didn't play for a long stretch. Now, I don't know if he re-aggravated his injury. I don't know if they were just like, look, we're going to try to melt this game as much as we possibly can with Mike Davis in hopes that we don't need to use Cordell Patterson because he is their only offensive playmaker really on this team, and they need him in order to try to win these games. That They're trying to make the playoffs. I don't know why they're bothering, but they are. Uh, so I think it might have been more of a situation where they're trying to make sure Cordell Patterson doesn't have a re-aggravation then it is something that you actually have to worry about as far as a, a new usage trend moving forward. But it was interesting to see Mike Davis be the lead guy as far as catching the ball. He had five catches for 42 yards on six targets, which tie with Russell Gage and Kyle Pitts with the most targets on the team. Ultimately, look, I'm not worried about Cordell Patterson. If he's out there, you're playing him as a low in RB1. End of discussion. He is the offensive Atlanta. Russell Gage... Six targets, four catches, 64 yards. Obviously, if there's a Falcon wide receiver you want to have, it's going to be Russell Gage. He's still nothing more than a low-end wide receiver, three high-end wide receiver, four, though. There's just not going to usually be that much upside with a Russell Gage. Maybe his volume is going to establish more of a consistent floor than we've been able to trust in years past. But tell me this. Are you really going to go in your first round of your playoffs and have confidence in Russell Gage as your wide receiver, three, given his history, given what this Atlanta offense has the potential to do as far as dudding out goes this season? I don't think so. Kyle Pitts, he's a tight end getting six targets. Five catches, 61 yards, six targets in this game. You're going to get that usage. You're going to be a top 10 tight end in my rankings every single week. Do I think he's a must play depending upon what options you have available to you? Not as much as I was. I'm not as bullish on that point as I was earlier on the season. However, I will still say this, unless you have a bona fide top five tight end, Dawson Knox, Rob Gronkowski, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, if you have anybody outside of that list, Darren Waller, I guess when he comes back, then I don't think you can necessarily make a great case that any one of them should be higher than a Kyle Pitts. So that's why I think you still are in a situation where you're better off playing Kyle Pitts than not uh, the rest of the way. Let's move into our next matchup. The Cleveland Browns, the Baltimore Ravens. What a game this was. 22-24. Lamar Jackson gets hurt early in this game. And the Browns are dominating the first half. In fact, they scored all 24 of their points in the first half. And Tyler Huntley comes in and actually makes this game close at the end and gives the Ravens a chance to win. That was what was shocking about this game. Gave him a chance to try to win at the end of the game. So the big significance of that, obviously, is that, okay, if Lamar Jackson has to miss due to the ankle sprain, we don't know for sure that he is yet or not, but let's say he has to miss. 
you can still have confidence in Mark Andrews, in Marquise Brown, and maybe even Rashad Bateman. We'll talk about him in a second. You can still have confidence in playing those guys in your matchups, in your fantasy football playoffs, even if Lamar Jackson's not out there because Tyler Huntley has shown he's good enough to get them the football, especially Mark Andrews. This is the second time we've seen Tyler Huntley this season. Mark Andrews has been his favorite target. There's almost an argument can be made that there's a boost for Mark Andrews if Tyler Huntley is going to be the quarterback because of how much he looks for him. Because Andrews had 11 catches for 115 yards, a touchdown on 11 targets in this game. I mean, you don't get much more efficient than that, and you love the volume. I said we'll talk about Rashad Bateman. Seven catches for 103 yards and eight targets in this game. So you have been coming up more as a wide receiver four for me. Why? Because the past couple of weeks, his usage, for whatever reason, have fell behind both Devin DuVernay and Sammy Watkins. Now, part of that, I think, was because he was sick. He wasn't practicing as much past couple of weeks. And because they do have such a competitive receiving core behind Marquise Brown right now, I think it just led to them not playing him as much if he wasn't going to be able to practice as much. This game came in. He did practice a little bit more this week in general. But Sammy Watkins gets hurt early on. And once Watkins got hurt, Rashad Bateman flips back into that role, completely takes over, and then has the great game, the over 100-yard game performance. I got to think the Ravens know Rashad Bateman being on the field more than Sammy Watkins, whether he's hurt or healthy, is better for this team overall, not just for his development, but better for what this team could be down the stretch too. So I, I truly think that Rashad Bateman, from here on out, as long as he can stay healthy, will hold on to this role. And we'll have to see. I mean, Sammy Watkins might be out, and it might be a moot point. We might have to worry about it regardless. But Rashad Bateman should be holding on to this role moving forward. So he's somebody that I will be contemplating in my wide receiver three and went from somebody who that I don't think you had necessarily a need to put him on your squad. I think if you have the ability to do so, can and should put him on your team. Might be somebody you want to utilize at some point during his fantasy playoffs or just make sure that nobody else you're playing against has him to be able to use either. There's no concern with me when it comes to Marquise Brown. He has the same amount of targets as Shad Bateman. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, it was Lamar Jackson. Of course, I like Marquise Brown a little bit more. But even if it's Tyler Huntley, again, he showed he's good enough to get it to the guys that you need him to get it to. Huntley himself is going to be a streaming quarterback, by the way, if Jackson does not play. Now, I'm probably not going to talk about Huntley on the waiver wire report because right now the report is that Jackson doesn't have a high ankle sprain. We'll have a chance to play this week. I'm not going to go out there and try to waste resources, what precious little resources I have left in my fantasy football playoffs. We've got a quarterback who may or may not be a starter Okay, this week. But something to keep my eye on. If it looks like Lamar Jackson's not practicing, it looks like Tyler Huntley is gearing up to be the guy. And we find out on Friday that Lamar Jackson's not going to be able to go. Tyler Huntley will have legitimate top 12 upside because he runs around, he had 45 yards rushing in this one. And again, 
looked pretty decent as a passer or at least good enough to get it to the weapons. So that's all we're breaking down from the Ravens. On the Cleveland side of things, you care about Nick Chubb and you care about Jarvis Landry. I don't know what else outside of that I can trust. Kareem Hunt picks up an ankle injury. He's considered week to weeks. Kevin Stefanski is already saying, because they have the game on Saturday against the Raiders this week, already saying that he's pretty much counting out the idea that Kareem Hunt's going to be able to go this week. So we can already basically say Hunt's going to be out for at least this week. And they're calling it week to week. So we know that, that means that could mean week 16 too. First off, the easy part. If you have Kareem Hunt, you have to hold on to him. Because if he is back week 16 or back week 17, that's a running back you're going to be able to use and play when he's back in there. So you're holding on to Kareem Hunt if you can, if you're in the fantasy playoffs. It's great news for Nick Chubb because you've had two games now. They were separated by a bye week. You had two games against the Ravens that were absolutely brutal to watch. Now, at least in this game, he had 20 touches. The criminal part in the last game was that he didn't even have double-digit touches. So at least in this game, he did get the ball. But for whatever reason, the Baltimore Ravens have that Cleveland Browns run defense figured out. Yes, their offensive line's a little bit banged up, but 3.5 yards of carry against a defense that has been gashed at times by teams this year was just a little bit surprising to me. Kareem Hunt goes down, so Nick Chubb gets four targets. That's the most targets he's had this season. It's probably the most targets he'll have the rest of the way. I do think Dearness Johnson will play a bit of the Kareem Hunt role. Because he kind of goes back to what we saw without Cream Hunt, right? Which was he had like the Cream Hunt light role. Not quite the same kind of usage, but still winds up getting more targets than Nick Chubb does by the end of the day and probably will get somewhere between six to eight carries on a normal basis. Not enough to make him fantasy relevant, but just enough so you know that like Nick Chubb's not going to get like 30 touches or anything like that, but he should get plus 20. And Chubb without Hunt was consistently a top 10 running back. I expect them to go back to that. They have a nice match against the Raiders this week. Could be a big Chubb week coming up. Jarvis Landry, eight targets, five catches, 41 yards, a touchdown. He was a wide receiver three for me. He continues to be a wide receiver three. It definitely looks like he's healthier than he was, especially earlier this season. Has a little bit of explosiveness back. It is worth noting, Donovan Peoples-Jones played the most at the wide receiver position. Did have seven targets, five catches, 90 yards. You're not playing him in your fantasy playoff leagues. This, if this was earlier in the season, he would definitely be a guy that would be saying, hey, you know what? Pick him up. This is the second game in a row where he's had decent usage. This game is a little bit more productive. But overall, we know that if Cleveland is playing the game they want to, you're not getting more than 25 pass attempts. So outside of Jarvis Landry, who I know has a certain allotment of the target share just cut out for him specifically, because he's the favorite targeted receiver of a Baker Mayfield, you can't really trust what the usage is going to be for everybody else. This is not a high, prolific passing attack, so I'd rather stay away from it. What I will say is this, though. Austin Hooper, who I've never really wanted to touch, not a big fan of, but five catches, 30 yards, a touchdown, seven targets. What has been proven to this point is that if David Njoku misses Austin Hooper can be a streamable tight end. He's, I'm not, not going to say he's a top 12 guy or anything like that, but he's still a streamable tight end if there's no David Njoku because his usage does become pretty concrete. Talk about five to seven targets. Talk about a guy who's going to be probably one of the more targeted guys in the red zone with Baker Mayfield who always likes to target his tight ends in the red zone regardless. 
So as long as Joku's out, Hooper can be a streaming option at the tight end position, depending upon what your needs are there. All right, let's keep let's keep this thing rolling here. Let's talk about the Tennessee Titans, the Jacksonville Jaguars. So the Jaguars do nothing offensively, make all the Urban Meyer memes you want to. I'll make this quick note about it. I was somebody who's been consistently arguing that Urban Meyer's not going to get fired this year. Not because I don't think he doesn't deserve to, because he definitely does. I'm definitely on board of, you know, let's fire Urban Meyer because this is ridiculous. But I thought that with the money they gave him, the the contract they gave him, I just thought there was no possible way that they were going to fire Urban Meyer after the first year. Just thought there was no way. But this thing has turned into such a, a crap show, has been so bad, and now he has the coaching staff turning on him after he threw the running backs coach under the bus last week for absolutely no reason at all, that they might actually wind up having to fire him or face a riot within the organization on their hands. That's how bad, that's how sour things have gotten with Urban Myers, the head coach, which would be the best thing in the world from Jacksonville. They need to move on. ASAP if they want to save Trevor Lawrence and some of the other young offensive talent that they do have on this team. From a fantasy standpoint, that only offensive talent we're talking about is James Robinson. Now, I know he only had six carries for four yards, and I know he was a complete dud in the passing game. I get it. But, but, it's one of the good defense against Tennessee. Jacksonville, yes, they've been spiraling. They got Houston and the Jets. Got Houston and the Jets up back to back. And at the very least, you can say, well, at least Robinson got 99% of the usage as the running back. It would only equal six carries, I know. But Houston and the Jets, you got to figure as long as he's the man getting the snaps, getting the workload, those two matchups make him at the very least a low end RB2. So I do think you are keeping and trusting and playing. James Robinson in your lineups, especially the next two weeks, just because of the schedule. Now, if he doesn't do anything against Houston, let's say next week, then maybe you're thinking twice against the Jets. And if he doesn't do anything against Houston or the Jets and you're still able to make the championship game anyway, maybe you're looking at another option there. But I don't see how you can bench James Robinson against Houston. We know how good he is. Your hope, your hope would be that he's practicing more during the week because he's been going through this thing where he's like limited in practice. And he, I feel like every week we have this controversial report about whether or not he's actually practicing on Thursday. You get one report saying he's not, you know, one report saying he's limited, whatever the case may be. Your hope is that he's able to practice a little bit more. So maybe he's a little bit more healthy and then you can kind of trust. He'll get back to his production that way. But I will say this, Urban Meyer has got some heat on him to get back to using James Robinson and doing anything on offense, really, frankly, at this point. So I do think against Houston, as bad as it's been, I think you are playing James Robinson. Not touching a pass catcher, not touching Trevor Lawrence, but I think you are playing James Robinson. On Tennessee's side, we had a couple things that we wanted to get answered here. So let's let's start with the headliner. Julio Jones is back. However, they didn't quite unleash Julio Jones right away as far as his snap count goes. He was third on the team and snaps. He was behind Westbrook. Ikeen. He was behind Chester Roger or I'm sorry, Cody Hollister. As far as those routes run and those snaps go, that will ramp up. The good news is this. He was able to get through four quarters 
without getting injured. So that's, I know we're setting the bar low, but that's kind of where the bar is right now for Julio Jones. Only four catches, 33 yards, but he still the most targets on the team at six, even though he had the less volume there. So Ryan Tannehill is going to try to get the ball to his best guy. Assuming he plays a little bit more next week, we still won't have AJ Brown until week 16 at the earliest. I think you can go ahead and think Julio Jones, is the low end wide receiver three, the reason I'm hesitant to say this, I thought he was a low-end wide receiver three given the matchup here against Jacksonville. But I also thought he'd play a little bit more than what he did too, even though it was his first game back. So that's what the kind of give and take is there. I think you're owning Julio. I think if you have to play him, I think you can play him. And that's about it there. And that's the only pass catcher I really care about. The other question for Tennessee was going to be, okay, the running backs. Jerry McNichols is back. We finally get to see, okay, did Dontrell Hillard play well enough where he's staying ahead of Jerry McNichols or is because McNichols was already there, he goes back to being the lead guy or at least has the role of the passing down back. That question got answered. McNichols played more than Dontrell Hillard. He played ahead of him, meaning Dontrell Hillard, Jerry McNichols, you shouldn't be owning either one of them. You're not playing either one of them. The only guy who has a role that you can predict is Dante Foreman. 13 carries, 47 yards, picks up the rushing touchdown. Obviously, nothing gaudy, nothing great. Never going to be with a Dante Foreman. But if you need a running back who has touchdown upside, he'll fit that role because at least you know he's going to get the majority of the carries, especially in the goal-to-go distance area. So that's where I think you can have Foreman have some fantasy value for you. Don't want to play him if I can at all help it, but he is an option nonetheless. Let's get into Kansas City and Las Vegas. This game was out of control. It was 35-3 to heading into halftime. So I don't know how much... When we get games like this that are so lopsided, I don't know how much fantasy value you can really take out of it. For really either team, the team getting blown out or the team doing the blowing out. Kansas City's defense, once again, was tremendous. They've been hot. It's been turnover city, sack city. Spagnola's figure something out. It's really kind of scary when you think about it because if you take what Kansas City's defense has been doing lately and you package it with what this offense could and should be, we might be back to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs as the leading AFC Super Bowl contending team, which the AFC, in my opinion right now, is completely wide open as far as who that top team is. I know I know, record-wise and the way they've looked lately, it's New England Patriots. Kansas City is so much more talent, though. So if Mahomes and them are able to turn the corner a little bit at any point, this thing could be all over with the way that defense is playing. So they get up big. Mahomes is 20 of 24, 258 yards, two touchdowns. So really efficient considering the lack of a volume that you're typically not used to with the Patrick Holmes and the Kansas City Chief offense. I was, Tyreek Hill, I think you're, you know, four catches, 76 yards on four targets. Considering how this game went, I don't think you can be upset about that. No, it wasn't a big Tyreek Hill week. But again, given the game flow, I think you're happy that he was able to do what he needed to do when the ball did go his way. Obviously, bigger games are ahead. I know it's been a couple of weeks now where Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey have been a little bit on the disappointing side. But we also know that the Chiefs typically are going to be in more neutral game scripts. And their defense has been so dominant, they've been in this position where the offense hasn't had as much volume. I don't think it's going to be the case this week against the Chargers on Thursday Night Football, by the way. So I think they're going to be put a little bit more to the test, especially that defense. It's going to be a little bit more back and forth. I think you're going to see Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey bounce back to fantasy royalty uh, in a big way on Thursday Night Football. 
but you're not worried about it. I know Travis Kelsey, three catches, 27 yards, four targets. You're playing these guys. You're not moving off of it, and you're not playing any other wide receivers. You know, Miko Harmon had a big catch. Josh Gordon got in the end zone. He's on the COVID-19 list now, by the way, if you missed that. Byron Pringle. Uh, you just don't care about, unless it's Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey. The backfield, everyone's trying to figure out, right? Because Clyde Zolaire, he got two touchdowns in this game. Darrell Williams had a receiving touchdown. Uh, and then, of course, the Derek Gore situation, which is not really anything of note. He was in there. All the backups for the Chiefs were in there pretty much the entire fourth quarter. He had the big 51-yard run outside of that. He didn't do much at all. So the, the Derek Gore thing, you just flush that out of your brain. Here's where you get interested. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Darrell Williams. Everyone's still trying to figure out, okay, what is the consistent split between the two of you? It looked like last week Clyde Edwards-Alaire was maybe getting ahead of Darrell Williams a little bit. Williams still had his role, but it was still Hilaire leaning. This week, Williams played more snaps than Clyde Edwards-Alaire did. The carries very much favored CEH. He had 10 carries compared to Darrell Williams' two. But Williams still ran more routes, played more on third downs, was just the pass catching back because he's the better pass protector. I think ultimately you have to look at this as a 55-45 split between CEH and Darrell Williams. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, because of this offense, he is still going to be a low in RB2. Darrell Williams is going to be an RB3. I think he's somebody you can throw into the flex and know that he's going to get enough usage that he's not going to dudge you out. There's going to be some kind of production from that. And it's just going to take away from the ceiling of what Clyde Edwards-Alaire maybe could be if a guy like, you know, Darrell Williams was out of the way. Uh, but you're still playing these guys, or especially playing CEH. Darrell Williams, I think you're only playing him if you don't have upside out of another flex or RB2 option. Uh, but he definitely needs to be rostered in all leagues, especially for CEH owners. Because CEH goes back down, we're right back to Darrell Williams being an RB2 again. On the Raiders' side of the ball, this game was just abysmal for everybody involved. I was really excited about Josh Jacobs. He had the bad fumble, and this offense really never produced. He only had nine points the entire game. He had nine carries, 24 yards, that uh, pathetic 2.7 yards. I, I'm definitely expecting better than that against Kansas City, generally speaking. But again, he boosts his floor. He had six targets, five catches, 46 yards in the passing game. He continues to dominate in that area. Now, it is worth noting that the Raiders did come out today and say that they think Jalen Rashard is going to be able to make a return sooner rather than later. We'll see if that means Josh Jacobs winds up either losing his passing down role or maybe gets cut in half. I tend to think he's still in line for his five to six targets because remember, before Kenyon Drake got hurt, Josh Jacobs was starting to see five to seven targets. So I don't think it's necessarily going to change with Jalen Rashard back there. So I think we're safe as far as this new passing floor that he's been able to get. You just need him to get a little bit more rushing. You need to get back into the end zone. But Josh Jacobs is actually still going to be more of a high-end RB2 for me the rest of the way, who I would still feel very excited to play because of the overall usage that he's having. Hunter Renfro is a, is a must-play wide receiver one. He's a top-12 receiver. 13 receptions, 117 yards, a touchdown, 14 targets. What's great about that stat line is that it's not reflective of the game script here. Even when the Raiders are a neutral or pro game scripts, <laughs> excuse me, Hunter Renfro has been getting this volume. 12 to 14 targets. 
It's been great for him. The question is going to be, does that continue when Darren Waller comes back? When Waller was in there, he was still getting seven to nine targets. But was less of a threat to be over 100 yards, was less of a threat to score a touchdown. So as a result, he was more of a wide receiver three. (laughs) So that's the difference with Hunter Renfro. Waller's still week to week. He still hasn't practiced. So there's reason to believe that this stretch for Renfro can continue. All right, let's get into our last game before I choke to death over here. <laughs> Dallas and Washington. So the score here, 27 to 20, really misleading. It never really felt like Washington was actually in this game. I know technically Dallas, because of Dak Prescott's interception late, tried to give him an opportunity to really pull back into this game, maybe even tie this game. They scored all 20 of their points in the second half. It was really more of Dallas just not playing sharp football than it was Washington actually willing their way back into this game than anything else. Uh, Tyler Heineke, Heineke even got benched at one point. Look, that's neither here nor there. Terry McLaurin is in concussion protocol now. It's been really disappointing for him this season. He had four targets in this game. He didn't get a single catch. He completely deaded you out. And now we don't know if he's able to come back next week. Yeah, he, uh, he was as soon as he landed on his head, and that was a nasty land. It wasn't defender's fault or anything like that. McLaurin jumped up and just landed on his head awkwardly. But he wasn't even back in that game at all. It didn't get cleared. He was out from that moment on. Something we're really going to have to watch heading into this week. I still believe, though, if Terry McLaurin's out there, you got to play him. His ability, he is the lead targeted guy. I think you have to play him. But if he misses... Outside of Antonio Gibson, I don't know if there's any other value to be had here. Ricky Seals-Jones was cleared. We thought, okay, Ricky Seals-Jones goes back to being the guy for Logan Thomas like he was earlier in the year, and that that wasn't the case. John Bates actually played ahead of Ricky Seals-Jones and still only had two targets, one catch, and 19 yards. I know Cam Sims had the big catch at the end of the game. It was a nice, beautiful, nice catch, 43-yard touchdown, but he still only had four targets. Adam Humphreys had seven. So a game was Washington was trailing the entire time and in, you know, hurry up, scramble, trying to come back mode the entire second half. There's no volume here. There's no usage that you trust for anybody. And that goes back to Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen, both being crappy quarterbacks as part of that. So what does that leave you with? Well, Antonio Gibson, he didn't have a good game here. 10 carries, 36 yards, and only tacked on two catches for five yards with no JD McKissick. That part, the, his usage in the passing game was very disappointing. He should have been more utilized there, especially considering what they had left. But he's going to be kind of in a Cordell Patterson situation where he's going to be the entire offense. Now, maybe J.D. McKissick's able to come back this week, but still, Antonio Gibson might be the entire offense for Washington moving forward. So even when they have tough matchups, you're trusting and loving Gibson's overall volume that he's going to see, which will make him, at the very least, a mid-level RB2 with top 10 potential because he's going to have chances to score multiple touchdowns over the next couple of weeks, especially if Terry McLaurin is not able to get back out there. We'll have to see exactly what goes on this week in practice. On the flip side of Dallas Cowboys side, talk about disappointments. I had Dak as my number one quarterback. This guy completely played like crap. 211 yards, one touchdown, the stupid two picks. I mean, just not play sharp. 
And it goes back to Tyron Smith. He got taken out of this game. He re-aggravated the ankle injury. They already said Tyron Smith's going to be out next week. Whenever his left tackle doesn't play, he doesn't play as well. Especially now that he's still... I think Dak's still trying to find his way on how comfortable he is on his leg injury. I think that's still been an ongoing thing this entire season. And if he doesn't feel like he has his blind side backed up by Smith, he gets happy feet, he loses his fundamentals, it becomes more of a mindset about trying to get the ball out of his hands than it is actually being a quarterback and throwing the ball in there. Um, and then you kind of saw it in this game. And it makes you kind of really wonder moving forward, you know, if that continues to happen, it kills Dak's value, it hurts the guys around him, and you don't want to see it happen. So it'll be really interesting. Now, I don't think you can bench Dak. He'll probably still be inside my top 10 heading into week 15, but it is something to watch. It's worth noting when Tyron Smith does not play, Dak is not the same quarterback. And where maybe, this, this is a real scenario out there, if Taysom Hill's available, I'm probably going to look to play Taysom Hill over Dak Prescott, quite frankly. We'll know for sure when I get the rankings out later on this week on BillyFantasySports.com, but that's the kind of questions I think people are legitimately going to have to ask themselves. Because without Tyrone Smith, it becomes a question, becomes a conversation. CeeDee Lamb, he's playing he's playing less than Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper. Now, everybody, now everybody's back and healthy and back up to their normal workload. Lamb is playing as a slot receiver. So he's not out there on two receiver sets as much with Gallup and Amari Cooper. But this offense is still a base three receiver set team. And C.D. Lamb is too good for any slot corner in the league. That's why he still dominates and targets, generally speaking, gets the catches. He's still number one Dallas Cowboy wide receiver, even though he's not playing as much as a Michael Gallup or an Amari Cooper in this matchup. But you're okay with everybody. Gallup had a decent floor, five catches, 60 yards on nine targets in this game. Amari Cooper had five catches for 51 yards and touchdown, seven targets. I think if you have Amari Cooper and you have C.D. Lamb, you're starting them regardless, and you already know that. I think the question is, can you trust Michael Gallup? And I talked about this before. With Ezekiel Elliott banged up and Tony Pollard banged up, the Dallas has kind of reverted back to being a pass-first team with Dak Prescott, and their volume's gone back up. With that being the case and all the three receivers being there, Gallup, the nine targets, I mean, you tell me a receiver at nine targets, he's worth a fantasy play. He's going to be a wide receiver three who I think you can play, and they have nice matchups the rest of the way too, especially for a guy like Michael Gallup who's going to kind of be the afterthought in a defensive game plan, but still a very good wide receiver. So I think you can play all three of these guys. And then with the running game situation, that was what was interesting to me. Corey Clement had 13 carries in this game. So you would have thought with no Tony Pollard, Zeke Elliott, who had been getting all this volume, even with Pollard in there, which is pretty much been keeping him fantasy relevant over the past couple of weeks. You're like, all right, well, Zeke's probably going to get, you know, a ton of volume now this game. So you can kind of expect him to be back to like maybe RB1 levels because of what we were expecting. Basically, I was expecting him to be Najee Harris. Where, yeah, it probably wasn't going to be efficient, but you were just going to get enough volume where it wasn't going to matter and have a chance to score. That didn't want to be in the case. He only had one catch of 15 yards. He still had the six targets. So you're okay with that because that's kind of been his number. So that's his involvement in the passing game. But to have one less carry than a Corey Clement, whew, that's eye-raising. That is eye-raising. Now, they came out today and said that they're more comfortable with where Tony Pollard is and his recovery. Uh, remember, he's got the torn plantar fasciitis now. 
But it sounds like Pollard's going to have a decent chance to come back and play this week. Although now you're going to have Pollard dealing with a foot injury, Zeke dealing with a knee issue. I think this backfield just kind of stays the same where Pollard's getting 35 to 40% of the work. Zeke's getting 60. And you're probably playing both of them in your lineup. Maybe you have a more of a floor option to play over Tony Pollard. You're still playing. You're still going to play Zeke. You have to. Usage is there. The opportunity is there. The offense is there. Zeke's going to be in your lineup. Might not be pretty. You might not want to have to watch it. That part I totally understand. But he needs to be in your lineup. Even though it's 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 kind of brutal right now. I can't disagree with that part. That's going to do it for the show, guys. That's all the games we talked about for Sunday. Remember, we're going to be back tomorrow tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. on social media at Billy of MDFF Show, on the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel, on your favorite pod streaming app, and live and on demand on the Amazon app store, the MD's Fantasy Football Show on Amazon, on your Fire TV, Android devices. Please download and check it out. I'm your host, Dan Mater. Guys, we'll see you guys again tomorrow and get you guys ready for your fantasy football play.